This week, Chris wants to know if businesses that have been jumping by 30 or 40% in sales and profit every year for several years, uh, if they're riskier than businesses that have just been chugging along, growing like 10% a year. Let's talk about it. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. All right, let me read uh, Chris's question that he sent in to me by email. Um, he says, I was wondering about your thoughts of businesses that have a sudden sharp 30 to 40% jumps per year for three or four years of increased revenue and net profit, and whether those are riskier than stable businesses that are just growing at 10% a year and have a, a, a longer track record, sort of a the eddy steady business, right? Um, great question, Chris. And in fact, I answered a, a little bit of a similar question uh, back in February of 2016, um, which was how many years of data do we average when we're looking at evaluating a business? And we'll, we'll connect a link to it here so you can go back and check that out. Um, I will warn you though, uh, I, I'm wearing the chubbier baby face in that video. So it might be a little bit shocking for those of you that are new to the channel. Um, so. Chris, the, the the jumps in the revenue and the earnings. So again, like, like many things that I discuss on this channel, um, <clears throat> is the business riskier? It depends, obviously. What we have to do is we have to uncover why. Why is the revenue jumping like this, right? So we want to figure out what kind of business is this and where is the revenue coming from? So on one extreme, we could have like a construction company that is bidding on doing large projects, right? And so there could be a general economic upswing that is causing uh, more investment in large building projects and they're bidding on these projects and they're winning contracts and this is causing their revenues and profits to go up, right? Now, in that extreme example, would you say that the business is worth more, right? Um, in a lot of cases, people don't say it's worth more. Because the buyer is going to say, well, you know, I'm now going to have to go and bid on those jobs. And it's a competitive process. And the, the general contractor is going the, the lowest price, best quality sort of mix in his suppliers. And if I'm the one that has to do all the work from this point forward to go and get those contracts, then is there really much value for me as a buyer? So the, the, the goodwill or the brand name of the business you know, might speak to its reputation, but is the company going to automatically get sales just because of the brand and reputation? In that extreme example, you know, a lot of people would say no. Like it, it really depends on who the operator is and whether the, the contractors subbing out work are going to have faith in that individual. And then the question is, will they have faith in the new owner, right? So that's one extreme. The other extreme would be a business that's like a walk-up sort of retail trade business where we're serving thousands of people and they're coming in and spending 20, 25, 30 bucks, right? And that business where we see this increase year over year, um, it might be a much more sustainable increase. 
The, the why question might also be answered about something that has changed in the marketplace. So do we have a location near a large venue that is suddenly having more concerts and sport events that increases traffic in that neighborhood, for example? Or have we introduced a new product or have we introduced a new service? And what are the growth prospects for that product or service, right? And so in that sort of extreme, then we're talking about, yeah, a business that's legit growing and, and the goodwill is probably enhancing as it's growing in the marketplace, serving more people, more people become aware of it. You know, that's one that people <clears throat> would go after as a high growth example, because they're like, hey, if I buy this now and I can carry on the growth, I'm going to end up looking back on this deal in a couple of years thinking I got a really good bargain because the business will have grown so much more. So in the video that um, that I, I made a couple of years ago that I just mentioned, uh, one of the things that we have to think about is if the business is growing 30 or 40% every year, then the business this year is actually materially different than the business was even just two or three years ago. So we have to, we have to look at what it's doing right now. And we also have to ask the question, is there some sort of scalability issue in this business? Let me explain what I mean. In many businesses, if you want to sell more, your inputs go up proportionately. And so if you think about a restaurant, if you're going to sell more meals, then the cost of the groceries coming in the back door goes up as well, right? So you get a direct connection between sales and costs. In a more service-related business, um, if you can provide the same service to more people without investing in more inputs, so let's say that you, um, you're doing some kind of consulting um, and you can serve twice as many people without hiring any more staff, then that creates an opportunity for you to increase scale without increasing your inputs. Now, the reason why the consulting example is apt is sometimes you can push, push, push your current team to deliver more, but you've reached this point of, of unsustainability because now you're, you're riding everyone really hard. People are having to put in extra hours, et cetera. And what the business really needs is more resources, another person or two to join the team. So if you're looking at the business at the point in time where they've been ramping up services and delivering that through their existing resources and they have yet to make the additional uh, investment and in inputs, you could buy that business and then realize, oh, I actually need to hire more people or I'm going to risk burnout and losing employees, et cetera. In which case, the increases in sales and profits may not really um, end up giving you the same kind of profitability that you're expecting But when you look at the owner's uh, performance. And where I see this a lot of times is when owners themselves will increase the activity in the business and they'll go from working 40 hours to 50 to 60 to 70 to 80 and they'll push, push, push and they're trying to show as much profit as possible because they've read somewhere that the value of their business is tied to profitability and that growth makes their business look better. And so they're going to they're going to really burn the candle at both ends to try to put on the best performance on paper they can so that they can exit at a high point, which is a really smart strategy. Right. If, if this is what you're trying to do as a buyer, though, you want to make sure that you're not falling into a trap like this. So um, let's then think about the business that's growing at like 10% a year, because that business is growing quickly. 
the seller is going to want to base the entire purchase price on the most recent performance because it's growing so quickly and maybe even introduce some element of the projected current year. So if we're looking at this business three or four months into the fiscal year, and I actually had a conversation last week about this with someone who's in this scenario, um, they're in due diligence, they're the seller, their business is growing tremendously fast, and they're now realizing that the LOI offer is way too low for the business that they own today. And it's only been a few months since they, they got the LOI. And so then the question is, you know, as a seller, it only makes sense to do the deal if the price is quite high. The, from the buyer's point of view, you start to wonder, am I getting into a blue sky scenario? So there's a video I did years ago about blue sky. Uh, you might want to check it out. We'll put a link to it. But that's when you're kind of overpaying for what you get. In the world of small businesses, um, you know, buyers tend not to want to pay for what may be coming down the road because the buyer says, I'm the one that has to deliver that performance under my leadership, my stewardship. In the world of public company investing, people look at those growth rates and they're ready to pay for them because when they make the investment, they're also getting the management team that's executing that. So it's a, it's a different kind of investment between a small business and a large publicly traded company. But let's think about that slow growing company for a bit. Um, one of the reasons why people like them is because there's less of a dispute or conversation about how many years do you average? You know, if it's growing 10% a year and you put a weighted average with 60% on last year, 30% on the year before and 10% on the year before that, you know, most sellers are gonna say, oh, okay, well you give a weighted average that takes into account the last couple of years. It doesn't work in my favor, but I understand why you did it. It's less of a contentious issue. You've also got a situation where you're not as concerned about investigating the whys of the increase, right? So it's going to be easier for the buyer to accept that they're making a safe move. It's going to be easier for the seller to believe that at the moment that the price has been made, it's probably a good price and things aren't going to change drastically, right? Um, and also there's this, this uh, probability that if you're dealing with an owner who's selling because of retirement and they haven't been putting a lot of vim and vigor and energy into the business, that you could be buying that business at a moment where you could increase the excitement and energy that you lead with and cause the growth to begin, right? So you can buy that business, pay a fair price, and then you could be the one that brings it into that high growth period which in turn is going to allow you to say, hey, I got a great deal on this business because I bought it at this point. Now I've grown it and it's working really well for me. And, and the seller isn't going to be really begrudging that because they're going to see that you obviously put in the effort to make that change happen. I guess what, what I'm really trying to get at is that when you have this high growth situation, the concern and the worry of both parties that they're getting into something that is a mistake increases and it can just um, heighten the volatility of what goes on as the deal happens. And it, it, if you're going to buy that business, you have to figure out your whys, figure out why it's happening, why the growth is happening, what you want to do with it, what your goals are. And when you make your decision, you have to be ready to pull the trigger really quickly um, get through due diligence really quickly because the longer it drags out, the more opportunity the seller will have to feel that they've made a mistake by agreeing to the, your price because they start to see, Hey, like every seller, when I, when I tell them what their business is worth, 
one of the first things they say to me is, well, if I just kept the business, I'd have the same money in the next few years, which is why sellers need to have a pressing personal motivation. If you have a high growth company that you're selling and someone offers you a reasonable price and you spend four months on diligence and deal making and going to the bank, et cetera, then all of a sudden that opinion that the seller has that if they just kept it for two or three years, they'd have the same money suddenly becomes, if I just kept it for 18 months, I'd have the same money. And that's a very different position for the seller to be in. And they will start to second guess the deal thinking that they're selling themselves short, which they very well could be. So Chris, I, I mean, I hope that answers your question. Um, the, you know, if you, if you read a lot of stuff written out there about buying a small business, um, or a lower middle market business, the Holy grail does seem to be that eddy, steady, evenly growing business that seems to have, what is it? The enduringly profitable business, I think is the term that the guys who wrote the HBR guide to buying a small business used. And, um, that really is what seems to, to excite, uh, buyers, um, because they see an opportunity for growth. They see, a consistent track record, which gives them confidence. You know, I'm sure that at different points in time, many fad related businesses had those high growth sort of trends. You know, if I, if I was out there going to be buying a business that had something to do with like crypto investing or something, I might see one of those rapid growth curves. Uh, and it would really give me pause to wonder um, you know, buying a business that had something to do with crypto investing would be a derivative on the overall crypto markets, right? Because you would you would be buying something related to people's continued interest in crypto investing. And then your decision on whether or not to buy that business would, would probably have to then encompass a decision on whether or not, you know, people were going to continue to be investing in cryptos. And who knows, Right. And I, and I know that there are people in my audience who are fans of, of like crypto investing. Um, as far as I'm concerned, there just it hasn't been a long enough track record. The stuff is all just very new. Um, in fact, I'm currently reading the uh, Henry Ford autobiography and the way he describes people in the automotive industry in the 1890s is almost exactly as though he were uh, describing people involved in crypto investing. It's, it's, it's actually quite uncanny. Anyway, Chris, I hope that answers your question. Um, we'll talk to you soon, guys. And uh, if you have any other questions, send them in. And um, any of your comments or whatnot, I'd love to see them in the comments down below on YouTube. And uh, with that, we'll say see you later. I'll see you next time. Don't forget, if, if you are serious about buying a business, um, then I would highly recommend that you take my Business Buyer Advantage program. And you can learn more about that over at businessbuyeradvantage.com. And for people who've done Business Buyer Advantage who want more help in uh, doing a search, finding a business, talking with sellers, doing the negotiation, and you just want to learn an incredible amount about how to do this, the Business Buyer Adventure Group Coaching Program um, has seen a ton of success. Um, and we just had a member do a couple more deals actually in the last little bit. Um, it's really an amazing program and it becomes more worthwhile to join every day as time goes on because the archives of all the guest speakers and the adventure calls, the group coaching calls, it builds upon over time. And you just get to see more and more firsthand examples of what's really happening in people's real life deal making. Um, it's like having a front row seat to someone else's deal where you don't just learn about what happened in the deal after a deal is done, but you actually listen to somebody talk about 
their communication and correspondence and meetings with a business owner over the course sometimes of a year before a deal gets done. And it gives you a realistic perspective on how these things go down. Um, because as a, as a business buyer, the worst thing that can happen to you is for you to get this um, needy behavior where you feel like deals are scarce and you start to chase after things and get into something that really doesn't work for you. Um, and that's the number one thing, probably the number one takeaway that people get from the group is that if you are willing to do the work to execute a proper search, you can actually create a deal flow for yourself and move away from that needy scarcity mindset into one of abundance where you're not afraid to see something get past you because you know that there's more on the way. And it's very much about creating a system to create deal flow. And that's what we do a lot of in Business Buyer Adventure. Um, anyway, with that, see you later. And I uh, hope everyone's getting excited about summer. I'll be out on my motorcycle. Maybe I'll see you soon. If you're driving around here, talk to you soon. Bye. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and the online courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, etc. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go out to Jeff Alpaw Customs for being my tailor. Men all around the world can look dangerous, just like me, with the help of Jeff Alpaw Customs. JeffAlpaw.com. Use the code DCB10 to save. They handle multiple currencies and ship anywhere you happen to be.